0: All right, folks, before we get into the main thing today, I want to let you know that this particular episode of the Oil and Gas Tech Podcast is made possible by our friends at Hexagon especially the Asset Lifecycle Intelligence Division at Hexagon, where they are doing amazing things to modernize that part of the business that we usually call enterprise asset management. Now, the best way to learn more about this is you go to hexagonppm.com, hexagonppm.com. Click on the link or tap, if you happen to be on your mobile device, that says solutions, and you'll see uh, you, you, you'll immediately see everything that they're about empowered engineer connected worker digital fabricator confident startup enterprise project i mean the list it's a whole digital twins it's all in there operational twins have a look at what hexagon is doing in enterprise asset management hexagonppm.com. an industry under pressure innovation in its finest hour this is the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan.
1: The views of the host are expressly his own. It should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation.
0: We're back here at Hat Studio with uh, my old friend Greg Leffler, whose uh, career I've been following uh, with admiration. low these many years, um, maybe a little bit of jealousy, but uh, <laughs> but, but thanks for uh, thanks. I, I know you're a, like an important guy now, with, like lots of big things that you need to concern yourself with. So I really, I really appreciate you making time to come over here. Uh, you're you're too
1: gracious in your introduction, but I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, like it, it keeps people from arguing with me. Kind of. <laughs> um, so anyway, we're, so we're just talking about the new studio, and I don't know. Some, some of what I was just saying will probably make it in and it, or may not make it in, depending on what he decides to do. So uh, yeah, but we do have this time, uh, a couple episodes back, uh, Kayla Ball, who I think you probably don't know, was here, and she was busting my chops about why are we drinking water. So um, we've upgraded because we haven't, we haven't now. I still haven't. So I did get, we got the, we got four whiskey glasses. We got a bottle of, uh, this is your first experience with Dickel. It is Dickel bourbon. So, so far, so good All experience right. so far. So anybody from Dickel out there that wants to be a sponsor, get in touch, we'll, we'll drink your, uh, your product. Um. Uh. Anyway, Kayla was giving me a hard time about why we're drinking water because we used to do this other show over at another place and we had like a bar cart and the whole thing. I need to bring all that over here. Mm-hmm. So we're still working on it. But but you found it okay. I found yeah, it. No problem. A little bit looks... A little nondescript. It's kind of a weird neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. So good. The inside looks nice. Yeah, it is. It's nice. And the AC is going to kick in any... <laughs> it's going to kick in any minute. All right. So, Greg, a uh, uh, little bit about... Uh, well, so you and I have known each other for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, how
1: 20, is it 10 years? More than that. 15. More than 15, more than 15, 15 years?
0: years. 15 years. Wow. Okay. So uh back in the consulting mm-hmm. so you're not you're not in consulting anymore uh, i i uh finally found my way out of that but you did it into consult- some real work it was a I long time did it for quite a while yeah you did um and so now you're at ng uh but um yeah th- there's an interesting story though because uh, when you were so we were at catapult systems together mm-hmm. so what this has got to be what 20 2010 2010 and so the fun story about you is that you were the, uh, um, so you were the, like, the young. What you were like, what thirty back then, something like that. Yeah.
1: That's that's very kind so,
0: of you. Somewhere in that mid thirties. Mid thirties? No, you you had to be younger than that. Anyway, so you were like you were like the rock star up and comer. You, well, you and Landon, who was Landon was on the show uh, not too long ago, Okay. and uh, you guys were like the dynamic duo, and and I was in you know leadership, right, whatever that was, and you were like. And we were, and everybody was like, Oh, Greg, Greg's, Greg's a rock star. We used to say rock star back then. I don't know what, what do people say now? But, um, and we had all these like ideas about how we were going to promote you and you're going to be this key player and all this, like, 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 like your future was bright in our eyes and you were going to do great things for the company. And then right around that time, you you looked at me one day and you said, so I think I'm going to be leaving because this isn't going to really get me where I want (laughs) to (laughs) be.
1: it was a little more to it than that but yes your your
0: memory that was a very deliberate career move so yeah i think that's it's got nothing to do with oil and gas technology but sure tell that story a little bit because yeah so
1: so i i started my career in uh software engineering uh graduated from uh baylor university in the 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 best time ever in the tech world middle of the the, uh, dot-com boom and you could get a job anywhere. If you could write code, you could get whatever job you wanted. And so yeah. there were plenty of choices. This is why I was always looking for a job because like, <laughs> That's I couldn't one reason. write code. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I went to work for a relatively small company that was doing what we called dot-com incubation. So we were um, creating ideas for – back then, the big thing was e-commerce. And it's kind of old now, but at the time, that was still a novel concept. Yeah. So we would – envision an idea for an e-commerce site or some sort of internet uh, product or company, uh, build it, and then court investors in parallel, and sell down a portion of the ownership. And then we'd retain some of it. And like most things in the tech world in the the late 90s, it was going fantastically well until it didn't. And then it suddenly crashed and left us all either going back to school or looking for different lines of work. I managed to to stay in the software field, uh, several different consulting companies hitch at Continental Airlines back when that was a I thing. I remember that, yeah. Um, I still miss them, by the way. Yeah, I do too. And it's you, to you can anymore. still tell uh, when you're flying United which which legacy crew <laughs> you're, you're with. But um, I've come to understand that we're called uh, ex cons, ex continental. Ex so When you find someone United that was former yeah. Continental, they're, uh, they're ex cons. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's um, very.
1: It had, <laughs> maybe not maybe not the best connotation. yeah, okay yeah. but uh, so I had I really enjoyed software development. Um, I liked the consulting space because it gave me a very wide range of experiences mm-hmm. but I had I was becoming narrow and I was going on a path where my expertise in software architecture was feeding itself and keeping me somewhat narrowly focused and I didn't like that. I also didn't like the fact that I am somewhat of an extrovert. Feeding itself. And being a software nerd uh, didn't really fit that. So I constantly had this... Are you an extrovert? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Depending on your definition. Like like you recharging groups? Yes. Oh, okay. Absolutely. So I never thought of you that way. Yeah. And most people don't. Because
0: so, when you when you moved... Like later in the story, when you get into like sales and all that, yeah. right? I always thought that was probably a stretch for you because no, you were... No. You were it, really it was cool. like... Okay. I so, so I know free. nothing about you, basically. No, so. you don't
1: know me at all. Okay, so, so go um, ahead. <laughs> but I, and, and, and you know, it makes sense. You, you probably a little bit typecast a person into the type of work they do. Sure. You're a developer, and, so you
0: must be. Yeah. And,
1: and uh, I needed to be a certain way to be successful in that line of work, and so I did it. But uh, I knew that long term, I wanted to be a business leader. Yeah. Um, leadership has always been a source of fascination to me. Kind of broadly speaking, going all the way back to my my youth and sports and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I knew that I wasn't going to get there with one trick, mm-hmm. as much as I love the software world. So I started thinking about what was next, um, started looking at industry experience, being in Houston, especially at that time uh, and coming from a, a family of um, folks that were in the oil business that gravitated towards oil and gas, but found a pretty uh, um, limiting Barrier to entry with previous experience. I was way too senior to start over. And when yeah. I wanted to come in in leadership, there was always right. this question around, well, how many years of oil and gas do you have? And yeah. my answer was, well, I did a couple projects for some uh, right. companies. And they're like, yeah, that's not, yeah, that's not it. Yeah.
0: That's not it. Yeah.
1: But another area that interested me was sales. And one of the things that drove me that way was it was the extreme opposite. You could probably. I will probably be one of the few people that you'll meet that went from software engineer to salesperson in in one hop.
0: Yeah, for sure. Probably the only one. Yeah. Uh,
1: so I attempted to do that when we were working together, and the structure of that organization didn't really provide no. a bridge. that I. And so I knew I had to start fresh. Right. And uh, so I went and found a sales position, probably, not probably, absolutely unqualified to be a salesperson. Uh, I didn't have... I had the ability to uh, connect with people and the interest in working with people i didn't have the tactics uh, and the things that you learn in real sales training i kind of yeah. learned that on the job yeah so my but, first but that's how everybody does it i right? think well i maybe so it's certainly people have different methods of learning that one worked for me right. um, my strategy was Find the best salesperson in the company and follow him around like a house cat. Yeah, you told me that's you didn't uh, tell me that.
0: You didn't say the house cat part, but uh, you,
1: maybe that's extreme. But yeah, yeah. But I, uh, I went, I got myself invited to places that I probably didn't belong. You also offered to do all his homework for well, him. Yeah, I right. said, Look, yeah. I'll, if you'll take me to sales meetings, I'll, I'll do all the, the junk work and build the sales proposals and all that. And that's yeah. a pretty hard offer to turn down.
0: That is. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a hard offer to turn down.
1: So those two things, I think, broadened me a bit, uh, gave me bigger opportunities for leadership development, which I fell into pretty, pretty strongly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then. um, Well, that part you were doing before, right? To to some extent. Yeah. To the extent that you were allowed, you were, you had all, you know.
1: True. Though the consulting world is so, uh, the work is so, uh, I don't want to say volatile, but it changes so quickly. That it's it's hard to you're leading an organization that is being restructured about once every six weeks or six months when you change yeah. clients and projects yeah true so everything's temporary um yeah so you don't have to invest a ton of infrastructure or energy right into building structures that will last because they're, they don't they're not designed to yeah no for sure yeah yeah so moving into a big company like ng that was a big transition is i'm i'm designing I initially took responsibility for the operations team, which to us means things like billing, customer care, uh, collections, settlements, stuff like that. But also the entire digital team, which are culturally opposite of each other. uh, But both happened to be things that I had experience with, so I took those. But the challenge of leadership was very different um, because I had to reorganize a much larger team and plan for a a long-term solution right um, and that was a learning experience
0: yeah and you have to well I don't know what the culture is like at ng but a lot of times um, you have to plan for like you you have to you have to think long term about long-term success but there's also a little bit of like what have you done for me lately right and there's and there's kind of de- or that's maybe uh, a cheeky way to put it, but but there's there's like demands on the right now, right? Like you have to accomplish things right now. Uh, you can't say, just wait on my
1: plan. It's absolutely true. And one thing that I found, one of the things that attracted me to the opportunity, which sounds counterintuitive because most people would not want this change, but when you do project-based work, which both IT and consulting, and certainly the combination of the two, lend itself to, right? Um, I hate to say it, but the level of accountability is lower because you typically are uh, working on a chain of short-term activities without a lot of heritage within one organization. For sure, yeah. So even though what you say is true, expectations are that you're going to provide short-term results, but I've been with NG now for seven years. I plan to stay there quite a bit longer. Behind me is a chain of things that I have done that have either gone well or not gone well, that I'm still... Held accountable for to yeah, some extent, yeah. or at least my credibility and my reputation is made of. Right. Um, so, so even when you are moving between roles or assignments, you're building a um, I don't want to say a resume, but you're building a history that yeah. people form an opinion of you about that go back to when you first started. Yeah, yeah. No. And you have to build a chain of successes that you can point to and say, you know, I contributed to these things that went well.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I guess depending on, depending on how you like to live your life, the consulting approach may be better to always just have a clean slate. <laughs> it is, it is convenient in that way. It's depending on what you're, what you're going for. But, um, but consulting companies struggle with that, right? They want to, um, cause they want to have long-term relationships with their clients and they want to have, and they like, they want to not, and I spent a long time there in that world and, 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 um you know, you want, you want to not be that consulting team that like shows up, does something and disappears. Um, but most of the time you kind of end up like that's the mission, right? There's not really a mission beyond that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not, what you just described. is not bad behavior. That's what most clients want. That's what they want. Right. They want you to come in, create and leave. Yeah. Uh, and then what you create is transitioned to generally internal staff, Right. And um, they may or may not run it correctly. Yeah. Or it may not have been built correctly. Right. And then they have to live with it. But it still it reflects on them a lot more than and, those and, that yeah.
0: swooped in. And Then and we go on. And, and every time we package it up a little bit more and we sell it to the next person. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Is, is that the end of the career story? Did we get to the end of it? So now you're at NG operations you said operations and digital is is, so do you guys have is digital and it the
1: same thing for you guys or because because some companies are keeping those as physically separate teams yeah you know i I would honestly say uh i didn't know this i'd love to say that um this was part of my choice and that i was that insightful i didn't really understand the way it was going to work until i got into it at ng the structure that they have uh, i think is probably the best of the different variety that i've seen out there Mm being an IT consulting as long as I was, I worked with a lot of CIOs and a lot of corporate IT departments, and many different configurations, centralized, decentralized, some sort of right. hybrid. And I, Functional, I, dysfunctional. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so all those two. <laughs> right. I remember at one point uh, in my career, I, I said to my wife that I was an IT guy. And if I was going to be ambitious, the highest job they have is CIO. So that I guess that's my goal by default. Right. And then I worked with a bunch of CIOs and thought I'd never, ever want to have that job. And the yeah. reason is not to insult any of your audience that are CIOs, but the reason it was not for me is it brought in um, a lot of elements that I had, I just had no interest in, in managing. It's a, the, the role of a CIO is a difficult one in that they are generally, unless you're in a software company, even in some of those cases, you're a cost center to be, minimized um nobody understands the complexity of the work they don't respect the effort or the cost they say why does it cost so much to make you know a blue button in my my app that I want or whatever right. well cuz first you wanted it red then you wanted it yellow <laughs> then you wanted it green but really the the part of it that disinterested me was the non um uh, the things that were not related to building solutions for business data center, infrastructure, right. help desk, oh, vendor contracts, it. yeah. its a huge part of the job. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I when I started scoping, or when my position was being scoped for me at Engie, I got to have all the parts I wanted, mm. which was what most people call business systems, or IS, or we call it digital. Yeah, um, okay. But our central function of, of shared IT services has it's, all that yeah. other stuff
0: yeah, we used to. So, way back in olden times, when I was in enterprise IT before consulting, so this is like, you know, in the early days of electricity. Um, we had uh, we had two like the whole multi hundred person IT organization was divided into two like halves of a sphere that almost. Like you never crossed the streams. Right. They were two different cultures. Yeah. There was the apps, and the infrastructure side, yeah. and um, and there was one one guy over all of that. And I don't remember if he was called CIO. I don't know if we had invented the title CIO back then, but I think we had. But but um, uh, but but he came from Big Four consulting, mm-hmm. and so he was able because. I, and so my observation about what you just said is about the part that a CIO's job. I think it depends on the size of the company. Cause once you get to a certain size, you can still be over all of that infrastructure stuff, but you can have somebody like he had, he had somebody over that and he had somebody over apps and then, and those were two executive positions. We've seen very senior leadership positions and then, and then he could decide where he wanted to spend, <laughs> to spend his time. Yeah. Um, but, but you have to get to a really, to a pretty big size.
1: You do. And then you run the risk of, uh being distant distance further from the part you like and if you get to do what you said and pick where you're going to dig in great but if your organization gets large enough like when i look at some of the global cios these massive companies that i used to well, work that's with, big
0: big yeah okay
1: when they spend their time in a boardroom not not in a whiteboard that's a whole different yeah, yeah um yeah. and i don't know i i don't like what i have now because i still get to uh i still get to be close enough to what i love about technology the most the, the biggest i used to ask people in interviews what what's the thrill if you're going to be a consultant or a software developer what's the juice for you yeah and the answer that i heard most often that was the answer for me is watching what i built solve a problem mm. most people that are in that world are problem solvers by nature mm-hmm. and probably like me grew up driving their parents nuts taking apart the vcr and sometimes figuring out how to put it back together, Uh, but they're builders and problem solvers. So it wasn't the tech itself, it was getting to do something that you could see the impact. Right. And I'll also say that that was a downside of consulting for me, because that, that there's a double edged sword. Yes, you get to build a solution and walk away. And and kinda of wash your hands of responsibility. Yeah, sure. You also don't get to see it when you it don't, goes no, well. You don't. you don't get to see the impact that it makes. Yeah. Unless they bring you back for phase two. There's always that.
0: Yeah. Which yeah. usually means you didn't finish it. So. Yeah, you didn't yeah, or yeah, you just renamed it. <laughs> <laughs> it is now phase two. Mm-hmm. Although I've seen internal IT organizations do the same thing where you have a project that becomes a death march and you never get to the end, so you just rename it, refund it and you know, fund it with some new money and do something different.
1: Common strategy.
0: But um, <clears throat> all right, so enough about you. Sure. Um, I so I'm curious about this. We were talking a little bit before we, well, I don't remember if it was before we turned the microphones on or after we turned them on. But uh, there's this there's this notion that kind of comes up on 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 this show a lot, where we're always looking at, uh, and I kind of have this premise that says, um, you know, so whatever you think about whatever role new forms of energy are or are not going to play or to what uh, extent can they step up to what's needed. The fact is, is there's some huge problems to solve out there. You know, it's one thing, you know, what works lab, what, what works fine in the lab sometimes has issues like circling the globe. Right. So, uh, so there's big problems to solve in all different disciplines and areas. And I'm always saying, well, if you want to solve the problems involved with like bringing power to the world, then why don't you ask the people who solved it the first time? And because there are some, there are some things there that have been figured out. Uh, and maybe those people are good at, we could take what they've already learned and what they've already done and apply it in some way to what you're trying to do over here. Now we don't, you know, that doesn't happen a lot, especially with oil and gas, because you know those guys are all evil. But um but, <laughs> but but I'm I'm from that world, so I'm allowed to joke. And uh um uh but but NG being in power generate this is power generation, right? So you're not in the distribution business. No. Um so you're just you're and it's generation for commercial
1: well, wait. I mean, you generate power and put it on the grid. Goes to an open market, so the end consumer is not necessarily known to you okay, when right. you're when you're generating. But we, but you do have customers. We do, though. Uh, most of our direct customer relationships are actually through the retail portion of our business. Okay. So we generate power and offer it for sales. We have counterparties that we're trading with in the, in the wholesale market. But um, oh, though, okay. those are large. Th- these are not end consumers. Right. Most of the customers are organizations similar to another part of NG, the retail business, who are buying blocks of power that they've contracted to uh, provide to their customers.
0: And, and then in between the generation and the buying, the the, and the you got people like Centerpoint and whatever that are moving it from one place to another.
1: Yeah, the wires and the poles is still owned by utilities, even right. in deregulated spaces. Um, one thing that took me a minute to figure out, uh, most of my time is all on the on the retail side of our business. Um, on the surface people say oh so you sell electricity and the reality is we don't at all uh we sell commodity price risk insurance (laughs) we don't touch the electron all right explain nothing with it yeah yeah all we do i think i i I think i see what you're getting at but yeah we offer a variety of financial derivatives risk management products that we sell to customer what we sell is a contract that has various parameters that oh, affects yeah, sure. a customer's risk exposure to right. Pow- we have power and gas, but just the commodity market in general. So I'll take the the the, the simplest of all. If a customer says, "I'm very risk averse. I'm happy with the price that on the market has today. I want to lock in this price for five years." Then what we will do: sign a contract with them that fixes the the rate. You know the volume varies, but so the cost varies by volume, but the rate is fixed. And then we turn around and go hedge, uh, provision hedges on the open market to cover our risk. Mm-hmm. But the advantage that we have that the customer doesn't is we have amassed this portfolio that allows us to manage our positions in aggregate in tremendous numbers. We serve 40 plus terawatts of power a year. So we can use yeah. customers, wow. That's big. their load obligations to hedge against each other. That
0: makes sense, I get it. Um, funny little sidebar I uh so so I, I've been a Reliant customer for and Reliant is part of CenterPoint now right like CenterPoint owns Reliant I think or Rel- Reliant's owned by NRG oh that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay that's right anyway I, I get confused anyway obviously I'm not in the being an oil and gas yes, sky, I can guy yeah okay <laughs> so I've been a Reliant customer for you know 100 years and, uh, uh, ever since I've been a homeowner, which was 1996. Mm-hmm. So, um, and every, and I've never shopped around to anybody else because I, I'm always happy with like, I'm, I'm happy with my electric bill. It's always, it's fine. It's never very expensive. And so, and, and every year, you know, I get the thing, you got to renew the plan. Right. And so I always have to remember to renew so that I get the fixed in rate, the fixed rate so that I don't have to like, you know, get whatever the bad thing is that happens if you don't do that. And, um, and I usually just do it for a year. Cause I'm like, well, I'll just do it for a year and we'll see what happens to it for a year. Um, and, uh, so the last time I did it was, um, uh, um, let's see, it was uh, in the spring of 2021. And, uh, yes. So last year and, um, or no, maybe it was the year before that. Uh, it was either 2020 or 2021. anyway. The point is that at that point I said, you know what? I hate trying to remember to do this every year. I know they remind me, and then I forget. I'm just gonna sign for the four-year thing. <laughs> so I signed the four-year, like locked in the price for four years. And guess whose electricity bill hasn't changed a lick, in spite of all of the all of the uh, markets uh, uh, heating up that we've had. It's actually been very nice. It's it's just, it's the same. I, I don't know if there's a built-in way that they're going to get that back later, but right now I'm enjoying it. So
1: We'll get it back from you. We'll get it back from the customers that signed up after you. Yeah. <laughs> so your your home is being subsidized by other... I appreciate it. Well, it's about time somebody... Uh, I, I, <laughs> I want
0: to get out of the subsidizing business. So, um, all right. Uh, so here's what I wanted to ask you. And th- and I do, I do get on the soapbox a lot of times because I am um, um, a big advocate for oil and gas not just not just the, the industry um i think there's a lot of good things that the that oil and gas does and um and one of the things is and i think that most of the most of the evil parts are are hugely either misunderstood or misrepresented and um but one of the things is uh the innovation The technology and the innovation, which, and, and, and people who listen to the show know that I get on this thing about the, the industry gets kind of typecast as being old fashioned and slow to change. But the reality is, is that the innovation and the technology has been there and, and the, not just, not just like the computing technology, but all kinds of like new ways of doing things and improving processes and making things efficient and cleaner and safer. Like all of that's, we were doing all that before it was cool. Right. Um, and it turns out that now you look at what people are trying to do in new types of energy, and we say, hey, you know, we can apply some of what we've learned over here to some of that, right? A uh, really simple example is geothermal and what we've done with subsurface That's and everything. True. So what I'm curious about is as you're now in the it, – it, it, and Engie's and, and, and getting into uh, – or you are into other forms of energy, right? uh, uh, uh And I'm not sure exactly what all you're doing there. But my question is, to what degree are you finding that the things that you've done in the past, whether it's the innovation, the learning how to do things, the infrastructure, the scale, the process, whatever, like, are you able to extend and apply those things to solve those same problems with
1: new forms of energy?
0: I'm hoping uh, the answer is yes. Well, But if the answer is course, no, then we need to understand
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, it can't be that simple. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are correct that NG used to be, right before I joined, so let's say 2016, we were the largest independent power producer in the whole world. Almost all of our generation, in fact, all of it, I believe, was based on dead dinosaurs or nuclear reactors which in the U S very unpopular in Europe, a little bit more palatable, a lot of France, uh, sorry, France has a, a large amount of nuclear, but on the heels of Fukushima and other things, even nuclear was, was not very sure. well received. Right. Um, we made a, uh, a very bold move to sell almost all of our, uh, what we call brown power, all of our fossil mm-hmm. fuel based power generation and invest that money in renewables. So we're either buying or building, uh, some of the biggest renewable, energy assets in the world so far most of that the biggest ones um, by a big margin are solar and wind yeah there's a lot of research in in uh, clean hydrogen bio has been a little bit difficult to figure out but people are trying solar and wind have really been uh the key the focus um when you look at the so people have called the u.s power grid as a whole the largest machine ever built by man if you think about it holistically, some portions of it are not affected. So if you go downstream, affected or affected, affected, Effective. by this transition, right? Okay. As we shift from fossil fuels to renewables, <clears throat> the power grid itself doesn't know or care that we're changing something. We're putting electrons on a wire at 60 hertz, just like we did before. Right. The only difference is how do we make that electron? How do we put it on the wire? I guess we don't make them. We <clears throat> um, yeah.
0: If you figure that out, by the way, there's there's a good business for that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) In the past, uh, it was 100, the ability to produce power was 100% driven by machines that were under our control. They were using, uh, natural resources, oil, gas, uh, to spin turbines and produce electrons, right? Um, on the, on the other end, so that's the very beginning of the chain production. And we had full control of it you turned it on just like you turn on the air conditioner in this studio a little too late yeah but you turn it on you turn it off when you wanted to yeah yeah. and you could do that to model or match the inconsistent usage patterns of the world around us yeah if you look at this past summer in texas when it was 105 degrees four o'clock in the afternoon um we had this past summer an all-time record of power consumption in Texas, mm. and I'd be willing to bet next summer will be a new record. When you look at it in the middle of the night, it's almost flat. Yeah. So one of the biggest problems to solve is we have built a machine that has the capacity to deliver a peak volume that is rarely ever needed. Right. So we've we've built capacity that's largely wasted. We could solve that in the past by. Uh, controlling the production side to match that curve so at night generation would spin down during the day it would spin up and all the world was happy
0: but you've still invested in the infrastructure to do
1: all you that. have uh if not for the unfortunate byproduct of carbon you wouldn't have a problem to solve because it was working
0: that depends on who you ask by the way that unfortunate part true <laughs> fair enough <laughs> um the plants like it Plants aren't complaining the plants aren't <laughs> complaining.
1: No. <laughs> Our atmosphere, different stuff. <laughs> so the, the the what's happening now is the portion of the machine that goes downstream from generation is unaffected. So can we reuse that? Absolutely. It doesn't need to change at all. Sure. The upstream right. part is totally different. Yeah. And the thing that is most perplexing in terms of solving the overall problem, but also creates the greatest opportunity. Renewable generation sources—you don't flip a switch and turn it on. Wow. They're driven by forces of nature, so yeah. we would say they're less dispatchable. You can't say, "All right, wind farm, produce power." Well, if the right. wind's not blowing, it's not producing power.
0: See, this is another disappointment because by 2015 we were supposed to have flying cars, flying cars, and we were supposed to be able to control the weather. I know, and we have neither. We have neither. So, um, but it, you know, but I've heard this talked about before, and it's almost a little bit. Uh, surreal is not the right word, but like, well, you know, the problem with wind and solar is the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. Well, surely we thought about that before we like invented these things and invested in the mass production of them. Like, like that seems like one of those early problems that you would work out. Like you wouldn't be surprised by that That's not the thing that like catches you off guard after you're already like 20 or 30 years into it and have invested like trillions of dollars yeah so how what did we just was that just one of those things we said well we'll just we'll figure it out when we get there or (laughs) what
1: i don't i I wouldn't go that far i think there there's two things i want to touch on that are that are potential solutions to that problem that are being worked but have not been as quick to produce results as i guess the the our ability to produce wind and solar farms so it's kind of like, think about how, how quickly our, our cell phones evolved. We went from a flip phone to an iPhone to Boom. whatever we have now. Skipped
0: over BlackBerry, but it's
1: okay. I get what you're saying. I know you like Blackberries. You probably still have one in your pocket if we were really <laughs> going to ask questions. <laughs> if, I could,
0: I, if I could, I would. Yeah,
1: yeah. But with a lot of consumer technology, the innovation of the devices was going at a breakneck pace. And what was dragging it down still today is batteries. The yeah. battery technology has not ad- advanced as quickly as the devices. But can it? My phones maybe, maybe can still
0: barely make it through a day. Maybe it's constrained by, like, physical limitations that can't be overcome. It
1: is, but how many other problems did we solve in order to make uh, the Internet show up on your phone right. in, in 5G? Um, fair enough. So I, I think what I'm saying is you, you take – draw a starting line. You put all these different technologies that are going to solve problems at the same point and say go. Okay, Some are going to outpace yeah. others. Yeah, and so that one we're still. Well, so the, the two things that I said that generation in a renewable world is less dispatchable, meaning it's less in our control.
0: Got it. It, right, it yeah.
1: generates when it generates. Right. The other thing is changing, uh, you know, they say necessity is the mother of all invention. That problem has created focus on two different areas that will help us balance the equation. One is, the demand side, the consumer, us sitting here in the studio with lights and microphones, uh, using up electricity. The technology of today enables more dispatchability of what we're doing. We can control and optimize our usage patterns yeah, uh, sure. to be more energy efficient, or to shift off of peaks and do things like that mm-hmm. that were not either they weren't feasible or they weren't necessary in the past. Now, when you're talking about a, a consumer, you know, a home owner like you, this is not very relevant. But our most of our customers are massive commercial and industrial consumers. So there's a cars, lot of
0: dials that they can turn. They have
1: much right. more. Yeah. The, have a longer I, I get, a,
0: I get a, an email from Reliance says, hey, please try to save some electricity because it's hot outside. And I go, well, I don't know. Do you want me to, like, do you want me to, like be in the dark or like what do you
1: what do you want me to do well and that's all they can do i got this too It was like hey do me a favor yeah. shut off your ac and no, my like answer is like i'm no, good i don't think so <laughs> no but for larger consumers uh here in texas ERCOT offers a program called um load acting as a resource or lar oh yeah and that is a, a an agreement that you enter into before right right crisis. i've heard
0: about this yeah and yeah.
1: if you are uh we have customers that are manufacturing facilities um where they can they can afford to determine when their machines are running and when they're not. Yeah, it's not going to crater them to have a day off of manufacturing in exchange for some financial incentive. Uh, They receive benefits directly from ERCOT. If there is a grid event, meaning there's more demand than we can possibly meet. Those facilities receive a message from ERCOT to decrease or 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 turn off their their demand for electricity in exchange for a fee. So for them, it's a moneymaker. And we had customers during the, the winter event last year, February 2021. Yeah, I That made that. huge sums of money by responding to the call to curtail their power.
0: See the okay. So this is actually a perfect example of when I say. Um, so I recognize maybe uh, the specific. <laughs> you know, implementations, this or the specific controls or the particular things may not, you know, now we're getting into wind or solar or whatever else or hydrogen. And, and you made a good point, which is that, well, it's a different ball game. So we got to do things differently. However, back to my point of like the people that have solved these problems in the past are, um, are, uh, that's my, that's my next meeting. (laughs) He's walking in. Um, Uh, they are like that sort of like creativity and ingenuity that comes up with systems for how to like I don't mean like technical systems I mean like processes and systems that says okay well here's what we can do because we all know that people need to be incented. <laughs> they need to have, right? And 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 ultimately money's the, or multi, money's the ultimate incentive. And if we can find ways to make it worth people's while to do something that we need them to do, I sound a little bit like I'm in the family right now. <laughs> let me Let me make this worth your while. But <laughs> someday I might require of you a favor.
1: <laughs> you know, I think what we find is that uh cost or, or money is the ultimate incentive mm-hmm. but if you can make it close if you can create an opportunity for people to especially large companies that have shareholder newsletters and employees yeah, yeah. and all those other pressures on them whether it's to satisfy a market itch or it's genuine altruism about saving the planet if you can give them an opportunity just to be in the game at a reasonable price, they'll take it. Yeah. Um, and in yeah, fact, a lot, of, a lot yeah. of what we're spending time with is helping companies understand um, how they can create uh, carbon reduction goals and, and what type of statements they can make to various stakeholders about their efforts. Yeah. And it is, you know, it's not arbitrary. And that's meaningful. There are rules right. that say if yeah. you, you can't just go buy uh, renewable energy credits and say we're green, and that's when it's not true. Yeah. Uh, buying green power directly from source um, is kind of the holy grail of, okay, we're, we're actually green. We're taking power off of a wind farm in West Texas. Each of our electronics has been
0: certified right. that it has come from a that's particular place.
1: You yeah. can say different things depending on which yeah. of those yeah. you're, you're doing. But the other part, the second part of my answer to your question is the, the the cell phone battery of, and ironically, it's it's similar in nature. If our problem is that, unlike gas, when we produce gas, we can store it. Power is very difficult to store. Yeah, it's true. Um, we don't have the same type of problems in the gas world because of our ability to compress it, lique- liquefy it, store right, right. it in salt domes and so forth generally speaking i'm gonna come back to batteries but generally speaking power needs to be uh generated and consumed in pretty close yeah uh, sequence it's like dairy products yeah okay. kind of like that yeah um what would solve all of that is if we could really advance the ball with storage yeah and when people think about storing electricity they say the word battery which is true but you got to think about battery in a uh, scientific sense doesn't you know you think a battery in, in uh, that you put in a device it's, that's a chemical battery, that's one of a dozen types of batteries. A battery is any way you're storing energy. And so far, the most efficient battery ever built was uh, I believe it was in West Virginia. Somebody of had the idea <laughs> of all places. Yeah. Somebody had the idea to yeah. to use cheap off-peak power in the middle of the night to run water pumps pump a lake to the top of a mountain which creates potential energy right and, and then during the day when prices are high you open the valves let the water flow let that gravity pull down yeah. spins a turbine and produces it's a net loss that is it, it takes more power so it's an imperfect machine there's leakage right but the prices are so different and the demands are right. so different nobody nobody minds you taking power in the night in order to produce power during the day when it's needed
0: yeah no it's a that's a really good point, which is if you, if you think of battery, what a battery is conceptually, storing power, mm-hmm. and if you get outside of the usual constraints of how we think about storing patter- power in a battery, because, you know, like there's a lot of problems with our, the, with our current battery, you know, our, our current approach to batteries right i've had mark mills has been on the show he's he'll go off on you know the energy density and how bad it is and how long you're going to have to drive that tesla before you make up for the emissions that were created in the manufacture of the battery and by the way have you ever seen a lithium mine because boy that doesn't look like it's good for the environment and and uh um but if you think about it if you get outside the box of a, that's what a battery is. And you think about a battery as a way to store power. There might be any number of ways that we haven't thought of yet or haven't developed sure. yet to store power. But the thing you mentioned about gas, because I, this, this bugs me and this is probably a topic for another day. Cause my little timer on a wall says we've probably been running long enough. But, um, if we talk too long, people change the channel. <laughs> so, um, I still don't get, I'm a big fan of natural gas. Like, it burns clean. It's, like you said, it's very easy to compress, to store. You can apply it to many different, you know, you can apply it to power generation. You can run run vehicles on it. You can do all these things. I don't understand why. Um, well, I, I do understand. Th- the reason why uh, natural gas isn't, you know, on the, the hero side of the energy is because of because it's part—it's hydrocarbons and it's the way we get it out of the ground that is supposedly so terrible. But if you look at what producers are doing to, I mean, those, those operations that get natural gas out of the ground are not like what they used to be. And they're a lot cleaner. They're a lot more efficient. Um, they're a lot safer. And, you know, com- there are companies with all kinds of um, great innovations. Like Technip FMC, one of the sponsors of the show. They got their um, uh, what's it called uh, emission product. Just rolled it out, like uses AI um, to to um, well. I don't know if it uses AR or maybe it's just machine learning. But anyway, it's it's automatically controlling um, uh, gas. I, I forget the words now, but like how much how much uh, uh, pressure is being applied in certain areas. Anyways, like automatically turning the dials to reduce emissions and reduce flaring based on like, like it's not a person doing it. It's like happening like automatically. My point is that we have these innovations like all over the industry that are making everything, like how, how come we don't get any credit for that? How come somebody <laughs> doesn't go, hey, you know what? this used to be like a big mess, but you guys got this natural gas stuff pretty well squared away. Let's like make, let's like put that on the field as part of the team. Um, do you like in your world, do you ever, does anybody ever talk about that? Yeah, I
1: think it's a fair statement. I, I would say the same thing about nuclear. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's yes, um, exactly. Neither of them are environmentally neutral completely, but both of them have been advanced uh, significantly to where, the, you know, you use the term on the field. They've got to be part of what we consider. And to be quite honest with you, until we get to the resolution of the potential mismatch between our ability to generate and our demand, yeah. we have to rely on these things. Right. And you look at situations like Hawaii... Um, it's going to be a while, I think. Well, so, so in Hawaii, they, uh, they subsidized significantly uh, residential solar. And Hawaii now has the highest density of residential solar panels anywhere in the world, because very expensive to generate power there. Plus, they're very environmentally conscious in Hawaii. Um, The problem is, they are having to maintain what we call base load, which means Mm -hmm. there's no sunshine, people would still like the refrigerator to stay on. So that baseline of power is still being produced by gas turbines. Yeah. And when it's sunny, those turbines still start these are not machines you can turn on and off with a push of a button right they spin uh indefinitely unless under maintenance so hawaii is overproducing so much power they're pouring it into the ground and they're producing the same carbon they were before it solved nothing in fact now <laughs> you actually pay a penalty to add to solar in hawaii because it's created a greater it, problem
0: yeah have they started working on the disposal problem yet? Have no. they been there out? Because California is already dealing with that because they yeah. were in the game so early that now they're dealing with the disposal. Yep. Um, so yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of things to be solved, but um, I think that um, you know it, there there's a lot of there's a lot of smart people that you know when you talk about the problem of providing power to the world, there's all these complexities that have to be figured out, and there's problems that have to be uh, you know, and people that have to be incented to do the right thing one way or another, whether it's good conscience or financially. I mean, businesses are in business. I mean, a company can't exist if it's not making money, right? If it mm-hmm. doesn't make money, then it then it closes its doors and everybody's out of work and all that, right? Um, I don't know, maybe some companies deserve that. But, uh, um, but uh, you know, finding ways to make it Work for everybody. Like, there's a lot of you're you smiling. What
1: are you? What are you? I'm kind of on a businesses soapbox, need customers too. Yeah, they do need customers. Yeah, and, and more and more. I'm not saying this will be a sudden transition, but ever so slightly each year, the expectation of a customer or a, a vendor, a partner, is that uh, the the folks they're going to work with, the companies they do business with, are being environmentally yeah, conscious. fair enough. Yeah. So yes, it is an increased cost, but there's also a cost of the negative, uh, the stigma, I should say, of you talk about scope one, two, and three emissions. And you get yeah. down to the end of that, you start looking at your partner network and say, I can't buy from you because right. you're not doing these things. Right. So I think there there are social pressures that affect purely commercial outcomes that are yeah, related no, to renewables.
0: Point. Yeah, you're right. Businesses need customer, And the customers are becoming increasingly... Conscientious about these things, yeah. right? So,
1: we did a project for Ohio State University, and it was uh, to, to get them on a target of cost reduction, but primarily carbon reduction. And their statements were our students expect this. If kids are going to come to Ohio State, uh, they want to know that the university that they're going to tie themselves to is doing their part. Yeah. And if they don't, they'll go somewhere else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel like I feel like we get we just open up a whole like hmm could go on a whole nother a whole nother down a whole nother road with this one. <laughs> but um, uh but I think we're gonna have to wrap it up. So and you just you just polished off your glass. Yeah. So and I got I know I'm fifteen minutes late for whatever the next thing is supposed to be. So Greg, thanks again for mega time. Yeah, I thanks appreciate for having it. me. This is fun. Yeah. yeah, Good because maybe I'll you can come back and we'll do a sure. part two. Sure. And because uh, there's I feel like there's a whole bunch of things there that we could get into but but also I I, I realize I, like I don't want to get you in trouble because I know that you have a good job. <laughs> (laughs) Do you have a job? (laughs) All right. That's going to do it. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.